Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why the best new habits are tiny ones with help from Stanford behavior scientist, Dr. BJ Fogg. Then you'll learn why human babies are late bloomers compared to other baby animals. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Yesterday on Curiosity Daily, you learned how to choose new habits that you might actually stick with. And today, Stanford behavior scientist Dr. B.J. Fogg is back to explain why those habits should be tiny. Seemed like a pretty good question to ask since his newest book is called Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything. Here's our conversation. The best way to start habits and the only reliable way is to start them really, really small. And the reason for that, there's various reasons, but the main one and the one that led me to develop the method in 2010 was that if a behavior is really, really easy to do, then you don't need lots of motivation to do it. So, for example, you know, meditating for three breaths as opposed to 30 minutes, three breaths doesn't take a lot of motivation. Uh, doing two push-ups rather than 20 And the reason you don't want to rely on lots of motivation is because as human beings, our motivation is not stable and it's not reliable. It goes up and down. And if you set yourself up for something big and hard, so big habits rather than tiny habits, you're human and your motivation is going to sag. And guess what? You can't do the big one, but you can do the tiny one. And so tiny habits is a super reliable way to create habits. Now, you can always do more if you want to. You can do more than three breaths. But the minimum requirement, I don't even call it a requirement, but the baseline is just take those three calming breaths. Bam, you did the habit. If you want to do more, great. That's extra credit. And surprisingly enough to people who love life hacks like I do and like uh, you all, is you don't raise the bar on yourself over time. So even though you're succeeding on the push-ups, two push-ups, you don't then raise the requirement to five and eight and 10 and 12. It always stays tiny, so you can always succeed. But, I mean, okay, that sounds like a great idea, but how do you you get to 10 push-ups? You, what happens is people naturally do more. Oh. So as you do two or whatever you start with, it might even just be two counter push-ups or two wall push-ups. The more you do a behavior, in almost all cases, not all, but the more you do a behavior, the easier it gets to do. So then it's easier to do more push-ups. And if you feel successful doing that, then you naturally will want to do more. So it's it's a... You can think of habits as a plant. You know, you start them really tiny and you get them rooted. The rootedness is how automatic they are. And that's what you really want to obsess with at the beginning of a habit is how automatic is this in my life? Just like with a plant in a garden, you don't care what's above the soil. What's happening with the roots is what matters. Once the roots take hold, then the habit or the plant can grow. And that's what we're mapping to with the tiny habits method. Okay. One of my goals has been to read more books or complete reading more books. And I I set that target at one point for try and finish a book in a month. And then I Mm -hmm. scaled back to try and read a chapter a day. And I'm literally at the point where it's now just read a page a day. Good for you. Uh, Thanks. (laughs) I mean, that that feels really lame for someone. Can I I be more extreme here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There was one summer. So I've been doing this for a, a long time, goofing around with hormone habits where all I would do is open the book. <laughs> the oh, habit. wow. That's great. 
I knew exactly, you know, we have this patio that overlooks a river here in Northern California. It was in the evening I, after I would sit down. So in the tiny habits way, you have this phrase, after I sit down on the patio, I will open my book. And that was all I had to do. If I read a sentence or a paragraph, that was fine. Um, but I would wager, Cody, that even a page is too big for most people. You need to make it so tiny that even when you're in a rush or stressed out or have other concerns, you can still do it. And for most people, a page is going to take them a minute or two. So a sentence or maybe a paragraph is how to dial it in and make it even easier. So then you can do it no matter what. Now, in, in reality, once you open the book or read the sentence, in most cases, you keep going. But in the tiny habits mindset, that's extra credit. That's like, good for me. Look, I've read a page. I've read a whole chapter. And you don't have to always do that. You just frame it as going above and beyond. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're making it really hard to fail and really easy to succeed, right? Doesn't that feel good? Yeah. Know, right? <laughs> what I'm sharing in Tiny Habits is you change best by feeling good, not feeling bad. And that's what I, I, I map out here. And the way you wire in a habit is through a positive emotion. It's not repetition that wires in the habit. Go look at the citations, read the research. It doesn't say that, even though the headlines say that. And it's emotion. So in Tiny Habits, they talk about how do you hack your emotions so you can hack your brain and wire in the habit. And that, that yes, when you learn to do that, you can create habits quickly and easily. But then, even more important, this is what the subtitle is about. When you learn to do that, when you learn to create this positive emotion, that transforms your life in other ways. And that's what the small changes that change everything. It's not like you did 200 like super tiny habits. It's now you're processing the world differently and you're reacting to the world differently. That changes everything. Again, the name of the book is Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything. Dr. BJ Fogg also told us that if you feel like one tiny habit isn't ambitious enough for you, then you can try starting, say, three tiny habits in your first week. That way you can push yourself a little harder to learn the skills that you need to change your behavior. You don't do it by increasing the size of one habit, but by the number of tiny habits. And hey, if three habits work great, then try 12 tiny habits the next week. As for his book, Dr. Fogg wanted us to emphasize that it contains new stuff you've probably never heard before. It's new models and methods of understanding and designing behavior based on new research. So check it out. You can pick up Tiny Habits and learn about Dr. Fogg's other work in today's show notes. Baby horses can walk hours after they're born. Sea turtles can scuttle toward the ocean within days of hatching. Human babies, they can't even hold their heads up for the first six months. The fact is that humans are born underdeveloped. But why? Contrary to popular belief, it has nothing to do with our mother's hips, but it does have to do with our big brains. Let's talk about why human infants are such late bloomers compared to other babies in the animal kingdom. The common theory goes like this. Fully grown infants have huge heads made to fit their huge brains. If human mothers had pelvises big enough to fit those heads, they wouldn't be able to walk. So, as a compromise, our species cuts gestation short and lets the rest of development happen outside the womb. But a number of studies say this can't be the reason for our underdeveloped newborns. 
For one thing, research suggests that women could have a much wider pelvis and still walk just fine. And for another, our gestation period isn't really cut all that short. The human pregnancy period is longer than all other primate species except orangutans. Instead, it might come down to energy costs. Being pregnant takes a whole lot of energy. At six months, a pregnant woman is using twice her usual energy to maintain her basic metabolic processes. As the baby develops, that just goes up. It's believed that humans can't sustain anything more than two and a half times their basal metabolic rate, and by nine months, mom is getting dangerously close to that threshold. So the original theory is half right. It's true that our brains are why we're born early, but the human pelvis has nothing to do with it. Growing our big brains in the womb takes energy, which means that mom reaches her metabolic cutoff before we're fully developed. The pelvis, then, evolved to accommodate our big melons, not the other way around. Once we're born, our brains keep growing, leading to cognitive abilities advanced enough to use language, create art, and understand this podcast. We might have been at the back of the class when we were born, but don't worry, we're just late bloomers. Let's recap what we learned today, starting with the idea that new habits have to be tiny because you don't need a lot of motivation to do them. And we also learned that you'll naturally do more than what you set out to do, which means it's easy to be an overachiever and a lot harder to fail. And that's important because forming new habits is more about how you feel than it is about repetition. That blew my mind. The way you build a habit is by feeling good, not by feeling bad. Yeah, that was a big time light bulb moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I still like I understand that. Absolutely. I know that if I feel guilty about skipping something, I'm more likely to skip it in the future, like because I don't want to feel bad and I'm just going to ignore it. But it's still very hard for me to wrap my brain around the idea that you just do two pushups that like that's your that's your goal. It's it's like fundamentally my brain has a has like a block. <laughs> and I can't. Maybe I need to read the book, too. Maybe. Speaking of two push-ups, you, listener, could do two push-ups every time you listen to Curiosity Daily. Oh, I like it. That's a good idea. There you go. Way to get in a little bit of better shape. We also learned that human infants are late bloomers compared to other baby animals because our brains take up so much of our mom's energy while we're developing that it probably wouldn't be good to hang out in there for longer than nine months. Thanks, mom. You know, there's been research that has compared the energy costs of ultra marathons to the energy costs of pregnancy. And they're pretty much the same, which is <laughs> wild. Like pretty much both of them get up to that two and a half times their metabolic rate area. It's wild. Yeah. Earlier this year, I saw my four month old niece, three month old, four month old. And it's hard for me to like, I haven't spent a lot of time around babies in the last several years. I certainly am going to in about a month or so. But it's mind-blowing because you look at them and, and you're like, not only can you not, I mean, obviously talk or walk or crawl or anything, but it's like you don't even have control over your arms. Like, because your brain is still growing motor functions. Like, you, right. you don't know how to move your body. Your brain is figuring out how to move your body. It's extraordinary, and uh, I'm going to get a real up-close look for a while this fall. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait for the... You're going to have a little science experiment <laughs> right in your house. Yep, one that screams and poops a lot. Yep. 
Today's last story was written by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.